Moms and dads, if y'all are in principle opposed to ice cream, um, this sermon might be difficult for you. Uh, That's just a warning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 to 16. This is a familiar passage. Uh, This is a very famous passage in Matthew's gospel. We call it the Beatitudes. Uh, And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this and we're going to pray that God will give us fresh eyes and fresh ears to hear and listen and see things uh, afresh. So this is God's word for us this morning. This is Matthew 5, verses 1 to 16. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but rather on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, this is God's word for us today, and it is absolutely true. Louis Zamperini lived an amazing life. You can read about his life in the 2010 book Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand. Let me just give you some highlights from his life. He was an Olympic runner. Uh, He ran middle distances at the 1936 Berlin Games. Afterwards, he was in the Air Force uh, during World War II, serving in the Pacific Theater, where he was, uh, his plane crashed due to a mechanical failure. He spent 47 days on a lifeboat in the Pacific before washing up on the Marshall Islands. He was gone so long, and there was so little understanding of what had happened to him, that he was pronounced killed in action. Uh, His family was notified that he was no longer alive. But when he washed up on the Marshall Islands, he was captured by Japanese troops and sent to a POW camp where he lived with daily torment and torture for over two years. At the end of the war, he was liberated. 
But as you might imagine, someone with such a traumatic experience, he struggled deeply with post-traumatic stress disorder. He began drinking heavily, medicating himself against the pain he had experienced. In 1949, his wife took him to hear a young preacher named Billy Graham in Los Angeles. And he converted. He gave his life to Jesus and became an evangelist himself. He preached the message of forgiveness, returning even to Japan to forgive his tormentors in person. It was an amazing thing he did. He had an amazing life. He died in 2014 at the age of 97 years old. There have been three movies made about Louis Zamperini's life, one of them directed by Angelina Jolie. Twice he has carried Olympic torches. There are countless stadiums, roads, and races, and even an airport in California named after him. Louis Zamperini lived an incredible life. He lived a good life. There's something beautiful about a good life well lived. And friends, our passage today is about the good life. We're looking at this passage that we call the Beatitudes, and Beatitude is simply a fancy word for blessed. But when we see the word blessed in the Bible, we often don't necessarily know what it means. And what it means is happy. What it means is the way of life that not only leads to happiness, but leads to human flourishing. So when Jesus says this way of life is blessed, what Jesus is saying to us is this is the good life. This is the life you were made to live. This is the life that you are supposed to live. This is the way things are supposed to be. In Psalm 1, which Ed just read to us, we have this image of a tree that is blossoming and blooming because its roots go deep next to water. It's a picture of flourishing and wholeness. The picture of the good life, the picture of the flourishing life is a lot like that tree. And so Matthew 5 verses 1 to 16 tell us about the good life. They tell us what it looks like. Now here's the thing. There are tons of things in this passage. You could do a sermon on each verse in this passage, and you could, you could preach the Beatitudes. You could preach verses 1 to 16 for months and months and months. We're going to do it in one shot, which means we're doing it at 40,000 feet uh, at about Mach 1. But stick with me. I think we'll get a sense of where we're going. There's four things I want us to see about the good life. Here's the first. The good life is received not achieved. The good life is received, not achieved. I think we see that in the first four Beatitudes, which are verses three to six. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We misunderstand these four Beatitudes if we take these as spiritual conditions to which we are supposed to aspire. These are not goals for us. These are conditions that describe lack. 
They describe inability. They describe brokenness. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, what he's saying is, blessed are the spiritually inadequate. Blessed are those who don't have the resources spiritually to draw upon for themselves. When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he doesn't specify a reason that they're mourning. He's saying, blessed are you when you are experiencing grief and loss and pain and hardship. When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, he's saying, blessed are you when you are powerless in the world. And when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, he's saying, blessed are you when you long for a righteousness you don't have. See, friends, these are not conditions that we are trying to reach. What Jesus is doing here is he is flipping the script on the world's understanding of a good life. Because a good life does not grow out of our areas of natural strength and natural competence and wealth and happiness. The good life is a gift. The good life is a gift. It's not something we earn. It's not something we achieve. Look at what Jesus says. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs only to those who are spiritually inadequate. Only the mourning will be comforted. Only the meek will inherit the earth, and only those who are unrighteous will be satisfied. Friends, the good life, the life we were made to live, is not a life we achieve on our own power. It is something we receive as a gift from the hand of our Heavenly Father. And this drastically changes the way we look at the world. And that takes us to our second point about the good life. We see it in the next three Beatitudes, but the second point is this. The good life looks like love for others, love for God, and love for the world. Love for others, love for God, Love for the world. You see it in those next three Beatitudes, verses 7 to 9. They remind us that we know with unshakable certainty that God has made us to do three things in this world. To love him, to love others, and to love the place where he's put us. They're not in that order in these three Beatitudes, but stick with me. You see, in verse 7, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Mercy is something we do to and for and with one another. And his point is that the merciful receive mercy. You see, friends, when we realize that this good life, that this kingdom we have is not something we have achieved on our own merits, our own intrinsic goodness, we can't but help be merciful and patient and gentle with other people. We can't help but be kind to one another when we realize that the kingdom we're a part of is not something we've earned because we're better than others. We become merciful and we receive mercy. In verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To be pure in heart means that we learn to love what is true and what is good, and what is beautiful. 
We learn to love God himself, and, and the blessedness of that condition is that we see God. We behold him. We realize that God is our highest good, and God gives us himself. We love God because we are blessed by God. Verse 9 tells us, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Peace is a very rich concept in the Bible. Because when the Bible talks about peace, it doesn't, talk, it doesn't mean the absence of conflict. Peace in the Bible is not the absence of something bad. It is the presence of something beautiful. It is the presence of wholeness. It is the presence of flourishing and joy and delight. On the Old Testament, they use the word shalom to capture this idea. If you stick around for Discover Heritage, we're going to talk more about shalom this morning. But when it says, blessed are those who are the peacemakers, what it's saying is, blessed are those who are pursuing shalom, who are pursuing flourishing and wholeness in this world. They shall be called sons of God. And again, it's not that we are earning the title of sons and daughters or children of God. It's that we show that we are children of God by pursuing peace and flourishing and wholeness in the world. We are recognized for what we are. So those are the first two things, the first two points about the good life. The good life is a gift, and the good life looks like mercy for others, love for God, and pursuing the flourishing of the world around us, pursuing the common good. But here's the third thing about the good life. The good life is realistic about the world. We see that in the last two Beatitudes in verses 10 to 12. And what they tell us is that righteousness, as we follow Jesus in this broken and sin-scarred world, we will receive hostility and opposition from the world. And what that hostility and opposition does is it reminds us, ultimately, we are citizens of a different kingdom. Christians always have something of an uneasy presence in the current way of things because we are meant for a higher kingdom. And that means that when we follow Jesus in this world, it is expected that we will receive opposition and hostility. No one is more realistic about the world than God. And it's important for us to note that this means that a good life, a flourishing life, a blessed life, is not ultimately about being approved of by others. It's not ultimately about being welcomed. It's not ultimately about being accepted. Jesus is telling us here that our lives can flourish even, and maybe even especially when we're being opposed, even or especially when we are being persecuted for following Christ. And just as an important, an important side note here, the persecution is only blessed when it is persecution that arises for following Christ. This is not just general opposition in the world. This is not the opposition you receive that might be natural consequences of your behavior. 
when we follow Jesus, the opposition we receive there is blessed. And Jesus says we can even rejoice in it because that has been the pattern of God's people throughout their entire history. The prophets also experienced this opposition. And this gives us courage. Courage to persevere, courage to walk faithfully even in the midst of the difficulty and the hostility. We can flourish even in the midst of it. Which brings us to the fourth piece of the good life. And the fourth piece of the good life takes us down into verses 13 to 16. And it's simply this. The good life is rooted in purpose. The good life is rooted in purpose. Now, your Bible editors have decided to break this passage between verses 12 and 13, and they've given you another title like salt and light as we move into verse 13. And that's fine. It makes it easier to find the passages. Uh, But in reality, verses 1 to 16 work as a unit before you have a, a shift after that in verses 17 and following. So 13, and 13 through 16 are meant to go together with these Beatitudes. And what they're showing us, what verses 13 to 16 are showing us is that God has given us a purpose in this world and the good life is built on this purpose. And it's simply this, God's people have been sent into the world as pictures of God's grace. We have been sent into the world as pictures of God's grace. And so the good life is living in accord with that purpose. Being a picture of God's grace is the essence of the good life. And so we've got two images here, salt and light. Let's look at verse 13. Jesus says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This is probably one of the most misinterpreted passages in the entire Bible. We read this, and we tend to look around and think, what do we use salt for? We use salt to season food. We use salt to preserve things. That's not the point here. Salt in ancient Israel was used as a fertilizer. It was used to change the pH level of the soil so that crops would grow better. That's why Jesus says not you are salt, but he says you are the salt of the earth. This is really clear if you flip over, and you don't have to do this, you can take my word for it. I should have marked this in my own Bible. Uh, Luke 14, where Jesus is talking about the same thing in verses 34 and 35. And he says this there, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Listen to this. It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. The point is that the salt was meant to fertilize the soil. And listen, if if salt is a fertilizer and not a preservative, that completely changes the meaning of this passage. Because the point is not that we are the preservatives of the culture. We're not supposed to prevent cultural decay. We are fertilizer, which means we are sent into the world to bring life to dead places. 
That's what fertilizer does. It enables life to grow, which is why we are sent out as peacemakers to pursue the flourishing of the world around us, to pursue the common good. We are the salt of the earth. But Jesus also says in verses 14 to 16 that we are light. And that image is light. The same kind of light that we have now. Uh, As light, we are meant to be beacons of hope in a broken and in a dark world, bearing witness to the reality of the kingdom and bearing witness of the reality of God's grace. I told y'all last week, or I gave you a quote last week from a theologian named Chris Wright, who reminds us that God does not have a mission for his people. He has a people for his mission. In other words, God doesn't save people and then realize that they need something to do and give them a mission to go and fill the earth with his glory. God's plan, God's desire is for the earth to be filled with his glory, to be filled with shalom. And so God gathers a people who are about and for that mission. And what this means, what all of this means, verses 1 to 16, what it all boils down to is simply this. You are the plan. You are God's plan for the world. God sent Christ to gather you, that you would walk in faithfulness, that you would be the kind of people who are merciful and pure in heart, and that you would be peacemakers. And friends, this all boils down to a simple truth. The good life, ultimately, is the life that is anchored in the gospel. The good life is a life that is rooted in the gospel. The good life is a life that is purchased for us by Christ at the cost of his very flesh and blood. The good life is a life we receive, not despite but because we don't deserve it. The good life is a life where Christ is shaping and reshaping our heart and teaching us to love what is true and good and beautiful, teaching us to love him and to love others and to pursue the good of the place that he has given us. The good life is a place where Jesus is by the Holy Spirit strengthening us that we might persevere and even flourish as we experience opposition and rejection and persecution in the world. This good life that Christ is shaping in us is a life where we are pictures of God's grace and God's goodness. As I was thinking about this passage this week, uh, I I thought of John 10, 10, uh, where Jesus says to his disciples, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think that's such a beautiful picture getting at this this good life, that, that the life Jesus is calling us to is not a life of misery, is not a life of denial, is not a life of just walking through difficulty and drudgery and duty. Jesus is giving us this good life of abundance. This is a life of joy and delight, a life where it overflows from us into the people around us. We are signposts of the kingdom, pictures of God's goodness and grace. And I wanted to figure out a way to convey that to you. 
And so I'm going to read you something. This is a little bit longer thing than I would normally read to you, uh, but it is worth every word. Uh, This comes from an article uh, in Christianity Today, maybe 10 years ago, that is entitled, Lighten Up Christians, God Loves a Good Time. This is amazing. If you come to my house after we get to the point of hanging things on the walls, uh, this article is actually hanging on the walls of my house. This is what it says. We Christians are the speakers of light. We are the proclaimers of joy. Wherever we go, we are the mascots of the gospel, the imagers of the infinitely creative father and the younger brothers and sisters of the humbled and triumphant word. We speak in this world on behalf of the one who made up lightning and snowflakes and eggs. Our Father wove glory and joy into every layer of this world. He wove in secrets that would tease us into centuries of risk-taking before we could unlock them. Flight, glass, electricity, chocolate. He buried gold deep but scattered sand everywhere, yet from the sand came all the wealth of our own age. Our God made things simple and funny. Skin bags full of milk swinging beneath cows. And also hard. Skim the cream, add sugar from cane grass, and shards of vanilla bean from faraway land, surround that with water, cold enough to have expanded its molecules and become solid. Now stir and keep stirring. Now taste and worship. We say, no more for you, Johnny, you've had enough. But God says, try the hot fudge. (laughs) God hung easily picked fruit on trees and he hid the secrets of fine wine at the end of a scavenger hunt. He made horses with strong flat backs lending themselves to an obvious use. And he hid jet wings behind the mysteries of steel and fossil fuels. Without any creative help at all, our God made up peanuts and bulgy tubers. Squeeze out the peanut oil and boil it. Slice the tubers and throw them in. Now add salt from the sea. We say, those will kill you. God says, take and eat. We should strive for holiness. But holiness is a flood, not an absence. Are you the kind of parent who can create joys for your children that they never imagined wanting? Does your sun shine, warming the faces of others? Does your rain green the world around you? Do you end your days with anything resembling a sunset? Do you begin with a dawn? We say that we would like to be more like God. So be more thrilled with moonlight and babies and what makes them and holding on to one lover until you've both been aged to wine ready to pour. Holiness is nothing like a building code. Holiness is 80-year-old hands crafting an apple pie for others again. It is aspen trees and a backlit breeze. It is fire on the mountain. Speak your joy. Mean it. 
sing it. Do it. Push it down into your bones. Let it overflow your banks and flood the lives of others. At God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. When we are truly like him, the same will be said of us. That's the good life. Would you pray with me? Father, we long for a life like that. We long for a life of abundance, of delight, of joy, of celebrating the good world that you've made, of loving you and others and the world that you've given us. Father, shape that in us. Be at work in us. Shape in us this good life. Father, even now, as we come to your table, be at work in us. Feed us. Strengthen us. Shape us. Empower us to live a life that overflows with delights into the lives of others. Take this ordinary bread and this ordinary cup and use them for an extraordinary purpose. To make us pictures of your grace and goodness. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.